just to see what's happening in Bloemfontein, I need to honor Haier and Johanri for the way they are building, the way they are leading together with the eldership team. It's amazing. And you know, when you go from congregation to congregation, you know, we've got 43 congregations in Joshua Generation now, and we're about to plant another one in around about August, September, around about there in uh, Robertson, of all places. And uh, yeah, you're so good. Pick me, pick me. I want to go to Robertson. And uh, yeah, so God is on the move, and we're very excited to be part of the wave of growth and advancing His kingdom. But I really want to honor you guys. So this morning, uh, I'm going to share on something. I don't know if uh, you guys ever watched um, uh, this program. It's on DSTV. It's called Project Runway. Anybody watch Project Runway? Most of the girls will stick up their hands. They watched it, and you say, Kim, why did you watch Project Runway? I used to enjoy it because I came out of the fashion industry. And so Project Runway is about these people that are, uh, uh, they want to be big design names, like Calvin Klein or Gucci, whatever the case is. And they get the opportunity to design clothes and then present them to this panel of judges. And if they win this competition, like Survivor or anything else, they win a million dollars, their names then get put onto Vogue magazine, and they become an overnight sensation with their brand. And I used to watch it because I was interested in fashion. But part of the, the, the judging panel was Heidi Klum. Who knows Heidi Klum? Okay, she's a beautiful interna- international model. She certainly was uh, an international model. But she's very well known in, in, in the modeling circles. Beautiful German lady. And she used to stand in front of the contestants and she said, fashion, one day you're in, and then one day you're out. One day you are the peacock, she never said, this is my version, one day you are the peacock, and the next day you're the feather duster. <laughs> <laughs> so, this morning, I'm going to talk about, are you in, or are you out? One day you're in and one day you're out. And just like the brands, you know, one day you're fashionable. So I can talk about a brand. Do you, you, most of you guys will remember the brand, uh, let's say, Quicksilver. How much Quicksilver do you see around these days? Very little. But one day it was in, it was trendy with all the surfers. These days, you hardly see it. There was another uh, brand, a surfing brand. Uh, I don't surf, but I'll, I'll just try and help you. Uh, I'll give you jeans, Wrangler. How many of you guys see Wrangler jeans around anymore? Very few, eh? But at one stage, Wrangler jeans were the jeans to buy. And now you can't find them anywhere. See, one day you're in, one day you're out. And we are the same as Christians. So this is a scripture I'd like to share with you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39 says, Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And God wants us to lose his life, our lives for him. So in honoring Haye and Yohandri this morning, it reminded me of the scripture of Abram. And today's lesson is a lot about Abram and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Now many people don't like preaching on Sodom and Gomorrah. But this morning, we're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, um, Abraham and Lot came to a place 
They were both extremely wealthy. Now, Lot was Abram's nephew. Uh, what's that in Afrikaans? Nochi is the female part. Nefti. Cousin. No, it's not his cousin. It was his... You know, you don't even know. I mean, I... Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> okay, it, it was his nephew in English. Okay, so you're all on the same page. But they acquired, because God's hand of favor was on Abram, they both acquired wealth, unknown wealth. I mean, they had camels and they had donkeys, they had slaves, they had families and offspring. And they just couldn't, when they moved, they just like decimated the land because of of the grazing of their sheep and their rams and their camels and their goats and their donkeys and everything. And it got to the point where Abram said to Lot, standing on this hill, he said, Lot, look in front of us. You can choose. You can either choose anything on the right or you can choose anything on the left. Whatever you choose, you can have that. And I'll bless you as you go that way. And I'll take whatever is left behind. And you see, flesh would normally say, I'm the uncle in this relationship. I will say, okay, I want the best, and I'm going to give my nephew the least. But he said to Lot, Lot, you choose. What do you want? So Lot looked up, and he saw this beautiful land, green pastures, rivers, little towns, and a big city there. Woolworths, pick and pay, shop right checkers. And he looked to the left and it was desolate, desert. And it was a no-brainer. He said, I want to go to the right. And Lot blessed him with it. But yeah, and it's almost like a prophetic word for Johan and Johan, uh, Haya and Johanri. Johan, that's your new name. <laughs> you know, the Lord gives us a new name. Eh? Yeah, my new name is Faithful, you Johan. <laughs> So Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 to 17 says this. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. Now listen, so, so Lord, God acknowledges Abram in this. He says, lift up your eyes and look from the place we are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Lot chose the best immediately, that green pasture, that beautiful land. And if you read early on in the Bible, it actually looked like the Garden of Eden itself. Now, I think if I'm standing in Cape Town, I'm going to take a right, and I'm going to go down to Gordon's Bay. Then I'm going to go left, go through Felizdorp, go over the mountain to Worcester. So I catch that whole Powell Valley, the, wine, the, the Winelands, then track past uh, Wellington, come down to Malfostrand, street table view, back to Cape Town. That's mine. You notice I didn't include Bloemfontein in it. <laughs> that would be like Abram taking the desolate... Copia Leon place where you need a passport to travel from. Eh? The 
problem with Lot and the land that he chose, it stretched to this place called Sodom. And behind Sodom was Gomorrah. And Genesis 13 verse 13 says this, And the people in this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. So if you think about Blimfontein, now you guys, most of, who are the visitors here? Sorry, I didn't see, I didn't look around when he said, just stick up your hands at the moment. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, thank you. It's lovely having you guys here. It's so awesome. We are honored to have you here. And we trust that you will encounter God in your place today. But, you see, if you go back into Blimfontein, <laughs> there's always a but. Not everybody's saved. Not everybody has Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are filled with flesh. They are filled with sin. And they need a Savior to take them out of the place of darkness where they're currently bound. And just as Sodom was so bad, they were sinful. God actually came down from heaven because the angels had reported to him how bad the sin was in Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, I need to come and see this for myself. I wonder how many times God has come down to Blimfontein to come and see how bad this place is. I know he's been to Cape Town because there it's very, very, very bad. Seriously. You know, Cape Town, it's not the place of milk and honey. Believe me. It's a sinful city there. But you don't see it. But the thing about Cape Town, how many of you guys would like to move to Cape Town? Yeah, it's a beautiful city. It's rated as one of the most, yeah, stick up here. And you see, the visitors are honest, eh? The rest of you guys aren't. <laughs> the, these two beautiful ladies over here, they stuck there. Yeah. This the place, like a vein mark. You see, and Sodom was exactly the same. The guys looked at it and they said, well, actually, we'll just go close to it. You know, so we can conveniently just pop in every now and go to Woolies, get our red cappuccinos with almond milk. <laughs> I love red cappuccinos with almond milk. And get our, you know, pre-cooked meals and everything. But the problem is, with most of us, it's the lure of what could be there that attracts us. The things of this world will drag us close to the things of the flesh. Our sinful natures will take us close to these things. It's like, you know, I don't drink, but I'm going to go and witness to somebody in a bar. I'm going to go and see if I can save people in the bar. And I'm going to eat as many of those salted peanuts as possible. And then I know that's their, their strategy. Is put salted peanuts out, and the more peanuts they, they eat with salt, the more thirsty they're going to get, the more beers they're going to buy. Did you know that's fact? But the problem is you don't know where those guys had their hands before they dig into the peanut bowl. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> Sis, no, you're not going to eat peanuts in the bars anymore. Oh, Paul's going to stay away from bar bars. What are you doing in bars, Paul? <laughs> you see, flesh will take us to the things because it's attractive to us. You know, everybody's doing it. Everybody's got it. But why not? You know, I mean, nobody's going to know. You know, but it's just like us. 
You see, but Lot didn't only live near Sodom. He actually eventually moved into Sodom. So he started off outside, but Sodom was so attractive. I mean, walking across the river or the plane to get to Sodom to do his shopping was inconvenient. So he moved into Sodom, and he eventually became a leader in Sodom. How do I know he became a leader? Because he was at the gates of Sodom. And to be at the gates of Sodom, you had to be a leader. You had to be approved by the council to sit at the the gates. Because when people, when visitors came from neighboring cities or something, they had to be approved by the leaders. So if you came in there and said, Paul, what are you doing here? You're an alcoholic. You go to bars and you eat peanuts. (laughs) You can't come in. You're going to contaminate our city. And they used to, st- what are you selling? Now we've got enough of that. We don't need you here. And they used to give people access into the city. So he was a leader. So you see, the lure of the city eventually rewarded him and made him a leader. And so, you know, sometimes, oh, Kat, where's Kat, the doctor? You are a doctor. A bio, yeah, you see. So he says, you know, you can't stop witnessing. That's amazing. Can I give you a word of advice? So next time a patient comes in, the first thing you need to say to him, have you prayed to God about your pain or your injury or anything? Then you'll lose business completely. (laughs) 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 Tell me about the kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. Actually, it's a wonderful lesson. I'm digressing off my notes again. Parents. Who's parents here? Come on, see up your hands. Parents, parents, parents. Come on, yes, I love parents. I'm delighted that you've got kids. They're a blessing from God. And I'm praying for these guys that they have a kid in this year. Amen? You're going to stand with me in agreement as we pray for them. God's going to anoint them and bless them with kids. So my twins. (laughs) All those people in agreement say amen. You've got no choice now, but it's going to happen. You see, as, as parents, our kids will come to us and say, Oh, Ma, I've got a headache. Oh, Ma, I've got a sore chest. We'll say, Okay, I'm going to go to the medicine cabinet. I need to take my kid to the doctor. What are we teaching them? We're teaching them to be reliant on the things of this world. What we should be saying is, Come here, let me pray for you. We trust that God's going to heal you. You seek first the kingdom. Okay, and we prayed for them. They're not healed. And then we go to plan B. We give them the medicine to drop the, the temperature. But the first thing we do is seek God and pray to them. We don't seek first the medicine cabinet or the doctor or the biochemist. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you see, the, the worst thing about Lot, it doesn't seem like he went as far as most of the people in Sodom. But he made little compromises on the way. And the, and the, the worst compromise that, that he made is like a lot of us make. And I mentioned it to the leadership team last night. We don't want to freely acknowledge that we are Christians. You know, we don't step out boldly, be strong and courageous. Joshua. One nine. <laughs> okay. God's given us a spirit of courage and boldness. He wants us to say, I am a Christian. 
I believe in God. I trust God. God will make a way. In fact, we keep quiet, you know, because Christians are weirdos. You know, they behave funny. They're quiet. Um, sometimes they're happy clappies. You know, in Joshua generation, we're not happy clappies, eh? Did you notice? We're jolly jumpers. <laughs> Jesus. So he made a lot of small compromises. And the worst compromise was that the two angels came, and obviously they looked like men. And they came to the gate, and something was stirred in Lot's heart. And he said, these two people are special. Now, obviously it was God speaking to Lot in his heart, convicting him in his heart. And he, and, and he said to him, you need to leave Sodom right now. And he said, no, no, far be it from me that I send you away. Please come and spend the night with me. Come and have a meal with me. I want to prepare a feast for you guys because your journey has been far. Little do you realize that their journey was very far, all the way from heaven down to earth. So he killed the fattened calf, and that night there was a knock on his door. And there all the men and the boys of the town were there. And they said, Give us those two men because we want to have sex with them. We want to sodomize them. We want to rape them. We want to have fun with them. But you know what Lot said? He said, no, these are my special guests. You'll dishonor me if you take these men. I've got two daughters. Have them instead. Now these two girls, they're probably between 13 and 16 because they were engaged. That fiance. Now just imagine you as a dad saying, you know, Kim's staying with me at the moment. There's some oak knocking on the door. I'll just pass my daughter on to them and let, her, let them get abused and Kim's going to be all right. Most of you guys will give me over and say, oh, go, go have Kim. You see, the most tragic thing is that Lot kept his mouth shut, that he knew Abram. And he knew that Abram was faithful to God. And he never, he forgot, you know, walking with Abram, the many miracles that God performed for Abram, with Abram, and through Abram, and his journey with Abram until this point. He kept quiet about being a Christian. Or not a Christian, was Christ was in Rome. He kept quiet about knowing God or knowing the power and the strength of God. And sometimes we exactly the same. And in the end, Sodom was destroyed. God ran down with fire and sulfur. He destroyed all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The ground, animal, the sheep, whatever. And Lot escaped by the skin of his teeth with his two daughters. And his wife died as well because she looked back over her shoulder and turned into a pillar of salt. So he went from riches to rags and eventually settled in a very small little town not far away. Okay, so there's four lessons I'd like to teach you, or four points that I'd like to teach you out of this little introduction. Firstly, you've got to be aware of the progression of sin in your lives. You've got to be aware of the progression of 
sin in your life. So most Christians don't intend to become Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot never intended to make Sodom his home, and he certainly didn't intend to be included in the judgment. When the angels came down, he thought, you know, I'm okay. I'm fine. You know, why should God judge me? I mean, I've got a contact. He's got a red telephone to God. It's Abraham. I can get out of anything, which he did. But you see, many of us, many of us are, uh, as Christians are so attracted to the things of the world that we start making compromises. Little compromises. I can just do that. I, I can get away with this. I can just, you know. And you start identifying with as much of the world as the world does. As I said early on, you know, everybody's doing it. So why can't I do it? Everybody's going there. Why can't I go there? Everybody's got one. I, I should have one as well. And those are the little compromises we start making in our lives. Charles Spurgeon, the great theologian, says this. If you're going to be saved, be 100% saved. If you're going to be saved, be 100% saved. And I loved some of the testimonies this morning. Guys talking about, you know, I'm all in. I've given my life to Jesus and I'm going to walk flat out with Jesus. Okay. Loved it. Because he's all in. You know, I cannot stop sharing the gospel. It's not that I want to. It's like I have to. I feel like my life will be destroyed if I don't. The most miserable person in the world is a half-committed Christian who is just enough in the world to be miserable in God and just enough into God that they're miserable in the world. And your heart is filled with salt and not in a good way. You feel dry and lifeless everywhere. You know, so there's a lot of people, including my son who lives in Sheffield. He's 46 at the moment. That's uh, my, uh, my youngest son, 46 years old. He lives in Sheffield. And we've been, every time we go there, we haven't seen him. We're hoping to go at the end of this year. We witness to him. He says, Dad, but you Christians are so boring. He doesn't realize how much joy and fun and excitement it is to be a Christian. There's so much life and so much energy and so much enthusiasm serving the God and walking in His kingdom. I absolutely love it. I'm sold out for God. No, no, Shannon, it's, it's, it's great. No, Dad, it's boring. You know, I can't go to the pub at 4 o'clock and have a drink with my mate. Say, Shannon, that's not what life is all about. And the worst thing you can do, and I'll give you an example, is that we try and straddle two opinions like this. See, we walk, oops, we walk like this. One, world, one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. One foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world. I was going to jump down, but... Looks high from there. <laughs> but just remember that as a picture. We straddle two opinions. One in and one out. But God wants us to be two feet. 100% committed into his kingdom. So you need to make up your mind today. Who do you want to be? A straddler or two feet in? 100% committed to the Lord. 100% committed to the Lord. Yes, Lord, we pray this. Our Father who art in heaven, 
Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But God says, do this. You say, yeah, but Lord. But Lord, when you gave your life, you surrendered your life to Jesus, the most important thing that you could have ever done and the best thing you could have ever done in your life is make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You said, yes, Lord, I'm willing to accept you as Lord over my life. At that point in time, you didn't say, but. I also want to do this. I also want to continue doing that. He said, no, Lord, I surrender my heart to you. I'm completely surrendered to you. Let your will be done in my life. Matthew 19, chapter 19, verse 17 to 22. It's a wonderful example of this. This is the rich young man. He comes up to Jesus. He says, he's seen Jesus perform miracles and doing various signs and wonders. And he says, oh, listen, this Jesus guy, he's cool. I, I mean, I, I want to be part of the Jesus group, you know. So he came up to him and he said to Jesus, you know, what do I have to, good man, he says, good man, what do I have to do to enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds, and he says, and then I go back, he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now, all of us, yeah, we do keep the commandments. Go next verse. He said to him, okay, which commandments do you want me to keep? You know, now there's a religious spirit that comes over him. Which commandments? you want me to keep and Jesus says to him you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself the young man said to him all these I've kept what do I still lack I mean I've been religious I've kept all these commandments I mean I'm a good guy really I keep the commandments and Jesus said to him if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. That's dying to self. I'm willing to give everything up to follow Jesus. I was telling the leaders last night, I was the managing director of Calvin Klein up until 2012. And Andrew phoned me and said, I'd like you to come on to full-time ministry. It wasn't a hesitation because I didn't have a comma or a but when I surrendered my life to Jesus. I said, yes, Lord, let your will be done until Andrew told me what salary I was going to earn. <laughs> and I came home and I said to Laureen, Calvin Klein just offered me a 20% increase and that was worth about 40,000 rand on top of what I was earning at that point in time. And I sat down and I said, Laureen, you and I need to talk. And I looked at her in the eyes, earnestly and seriously, and I said to her, Laureen, do you really believe that we've been called to full-time ministry? And without hesitation, she said, yes, of course. And my heart dropped. <laughs> That's not the answer I wanted to hear. I wanted, you know, there's money. We're living the life. We could walk into the mall and buy anything we wanted to. And now, with the budget that Andrew's given me, we actually had to take the dog food off the budget. We couldn't afford dog food. And my poor dog was going to starve. 
But God is a God of miracles because we really didn't think we were going to make ends meet at the end of each month. So we said, yes, Lord, we're willing to give up this beautiful salary, the beautiful car that I had, and we sell everything to be part of the kingdom. I'll give up my treasures of the world. And that Friday, we get a phone call from a guy from another congregation. It was, and he said, Kim, can you and Laureen come and visit my wife and I? So I said, yeah, sure, what time? He said, around about 4 o'clock. So I phoned Laureen. I said, Laura, have you got anything on at 4 o'clock? She says, no, no, nothing. So I said, listen, they found us. They're probably having marriage issues again or kid issues again. So let's go. We're going to put on our counseling, marriage. Laureen's very good with kids. Caps. We'll go and go and minister to these guys. So we're sitting around their kitchen table, around the table, having coffee. And he says, you know, Kim, the Lord spoke to me last night. And he said that I must cover your bond for a full year. He has 120,000 rand for you. Suddenly I could afford dog food again. <laughs> <laughs> the second point that I'd like to share with you is that the coming judgment is real. The coming Judgments. Christians, reborn people that are sitting here, the coming judgment is real. For years, God had warned Sodom and Gomorrah about the coming judgment. And everyone brushed it off, it doesn't real, and went back to partying. But God makes no empty promises. If God says something, His word stands, it lasts forever. Whether you believe it or not, it is true. It doesn't matter if you believe in the word or don't believe in it. It's true. Because God said it, he spoke it. And what he says comes into being. And Hebrews 9 verse 27 says this. It is appointed, and just as it appointed, for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So each one of us, once we die, we're going to stand in front of God. And he's going to judge us. The worst part is, you're going to stand in front of him naked. <laughs> and I hope at that stage I'll have my new glorious body. And for the older ladies, I hope for you too, that you'll have your new glorious body as well. <laughs> now, just remove that image from your mind. But, there's a big but here. As in, B-U-T, not B-U-T-T. God gives us a way out of this. Some of you liked it. <laughs> God is slow in executing judgment. God gives us the opportunity to confess our sins and to repent. Now, for many of us, the word repentance is a difficult and ugly word. Anybody feel that way? Yeah? I don't see any hand. Oh, thank you, sir. Oh, thanks for your honesty. I just love it. Repentance is actually a blessing. Because once you repent, you again, through the, the blood of Jesus, and the fact that the temple curtain has been torn open, I've confessed my sins, I repent. I can now walk back into the presence of my father, Abba Father, who will embrace me as a son of his. 
and hug me and hold me and whisper love into my ears. But without repentance, I can't get through that curtain. I can't get through that veil. So repentance is a good thing. It comes, it, it's a blessing. Jonathan Edwards said this. He was also an, uh, a theologian. Uh, he was born well before I was, 18th century. So, <laughs> And I'm looking at that 1959. I was born in 1958. <laughs> so this church, I mean, this school is like 63 years old. It's amazing, eh? It's been there for 63 years. So we, we are very afraid to talk about hell. When last did Caius preach a preach on hell? Any, anybody remember? Has he ever preached on hell? Yes. Linky, <laughs> Linky you, you like his best friend at the moment. <laughs> You're the only one that remembers anything, including scriptures. <laughs> so he says this about hell. Listen to this. Imagine yourself cast into a fairy oven, glowing with heat, white hot. And imagine that your body was going to lie in there for a quarter of an hour, a full 15 minutes, full of fire on the inside and the outside, feeling every fiber of it all the time. What horror would it feel at the entrance of such a furnace? I mean, you get there and you can feel this incredible heat. I mean, you guys know incredible heat because no one wants braai. But you stand back because the flames go up and you wait until it's just embers because it's too hot to get close to this thing. I remember as an Engelsman or for Sochi, whatever you want to call me, you know, and you hoil all the wood on there and you get there close, and next thing your eyebrows are singed and your hand, and, you, and Laureen walks up and something smells like burnt hair. <laughs> and you see my hair is, is, is reclining over here. That's not because I'm getting old, it's because I got too close to bright places too many times. <laughs> anyway. He said, what horror would you feel at an entrance of such a furnace? How long would a quarter of an hour seem? I mean, you haven't even climbed into the thing, and you're like, I've got to spend 15 minutes in here. Then he said there, but what if you knew you must lie there during the torment for its fullness, not for 15 minutes, but for 24 hours? You're going to feel this incredible heat. Your body's going to be burning. But you don't die, you're just burning, burning, burning. And as you get burnt, your flesh burns renewed. So you feel this constant pain and this constant burning continuously and continuously. You just imagine that for 24 hours. Now you start sweating. Yeah, that's hotter. <laughs> it's very hot. But wouldn't your heart sink if you had lying there? Forever and ever through eternity. I don't hear that spoken too often. What hell is like? You know, a lot of people, I was joking the other day, a lot of people say, I'm not going to speak to God about the awesome sacrifice that Jesus made and he paved the way for me to come into eternity. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us so that we could have life Life in eternity. So I look forward. You know, God says, once I've, I've been reborn, firstly, this is the best part, I'm going to get a new glorious body. Tall, dark, and handsome. 
not sorting around. <laughs> like I am. <laughs> and then, on top of it, he's spent 2,000 years building a mansion for me. And the streets are lined with rubies and gold and diamonds and sapphires. And I'll be in his presence. One day in your court, Lord, is better than a thousand elsewhere. To gaze on your face. Oh, Lord, what happiness it brings to my soul. And a lot of people think, well, hell is a, an option as well. Because if I go there, I'm going to play golf with my buddies. We're going to drink. We're going to have a, like a puff of marijuana or dacha in Afrikaans. And we're going to just jaw party discos. No! It's going to be like that fiery furnace. The Bible actually says you'll stand there and worms will be eating away at your legs. You'll feel this incredible heat and you'll be desperately thirsty with no water to drink at all. This isn't a turn and burn message, by the way. <laughs> turn or burn. But this is incredible. And, and the, the demons and Satan will be tormenting you for eternity. And there's no way, no way out. You can't, once you get into hell, say, okay, oh, it's too hot in the Lord, I need you. It's too late. There's one thing that you can't do in heaven. Anybody know what that is? Anybody? <laughs> you, no, you won't sin. You're saved. There's one thing you can't do in heaven, and that's evangelize. Now's your chance. I'll get to that. The greatest hypocrisy of all time is saying that you believe in heaven and hell and not doing everything you can. Not doing everything you can to keep those who you care for from going there. So I've just explained the terrible picture, and it's in the word. Every word that I've just told you about what hell is like is in God's word. Now you know how terrible it is. But you look at your friend, you look at your siblings, your brother, your sister, you look at your mom and your dad, you look at your colleagues at work, and you say, I'm all right. I know where you're going. God wants us to speak to them about the love of Jesus Christ so that they too can come into the kingdom. Genesis 19, 24 to 26 says this. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. You see, the lure of the world. And some of us, we've just given our lives to the Lord. Some of us have been walking a journey with God for some time. But there's just something that maybe if I click on my computer, there's nobody around, just click on the computer to look at that site again. Guess what? God is in the room with you. See, it's the lure and attraction of this world. The third point I'd like to share with you, and this is very important, very important, listen to this. You can't drift into godliness. You can't drift into godliness. You can't slide down your into godliness. You've actually got to walk up a very steep hill. It's like swimming against the current to become godly. Living for Jesus in this world is like really running up a very steep hill. Now, Blimpentain doesn't, although I was told different last night, 
have steep hills. I mean, for me, like, it's like running up Table Mountain. It takes sacrifice. It takes determination. It takes, you know, everything in my, my being to say, Lord, I will get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to spend time with you, to read your word, to pray with you. And everything in my body is saying, no, you need more sleep. Yeah, late night, you've been working hard. So I'm swimming upstream. No, I can't slide into godliness. I've got to fight my way to find more of God. He's freely available. But if I start sliding, now I'll get to God. I didn't require time. Now, I don't want to cast a religious spirit over you guys. Okay? You have to read. You know, it's out of love and out of passion. It's out of devotion. Then, you know, God is your provider. Eventually, he's going, you, you're going to say, I can't live. It's like me not being able to breathe in the morning. That I need to spend time with my father. Abba, father. Without him, my day is miserable. With him, I can ask him, father, thank you for waking me up today. Really, I pray that every morning. Thank you for waking me up. Thank you for the very air that I breathe. Thank you for your provision. Lord, I thank you for my family. You guys are my family. I'll take a bullet for you guys. Honestly. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my kids. I'm so grateful that God has given me opportunity in this time to be part of his kingdom. You see, the things of this world will continuously want to pull you in the opposite direction. Now, I didn't speak to God today. I've got to speak to him tomorrow and the next day. Ah, it's church on Sunday. I'll catch up with God then. You see, it becomes difficult because the world is putting you in a busyness. I'm so busy, I just can't get to God. The most important person being in the world you haven't got time for. It's like a marriage. I love my wife. But I'm so busy, I can't go home and spend time with her. And I come home once a week and, oh, Laureen, I love you so much. I just need to tell you how much I love you. And then I disappear for another week. That's how we treat God sometimes. No, no, she expects me to be with her all the time through troubles, through difficulties. Even when it's good time, she wants me to be with her. She wants to share her joy and her love with me. And that's what God desires from us as well. We are children of God and as a good father, he wants us to be with him all the time. He wants us to think about him, talk to him all the time. Not just 6 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning. Or You know, I used to go into meetings and I always used to put a briefcase on a chair next to me as the managing director of Calvin Klein. My guys must have thought I was loony because I always had to make sure there's an empty chair next to me. Why? Because I believe Jesus was next to me in the meeting. So I created space for him. Because I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> Even close a deal. So to go with Jesus, you have to swim against the current. Matthew 7, chapter 7, verse 13 to 14 is this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So many of us choose the easy way. You know, that's, oh, I'm going to go with everybody. This is, you know, once a week or never or occasionally. That's the easy way. And those who enter by it are many. Many. So there's many of you guys. He's talking about us. 
Many of us will choose the easy road. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Okay? That leads to life and those who find it are few. Oh my hat. Those who find it are few. There's a scripture, I think it's in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, some of you are going to come to me and you're going to say, Lord, Lord. And I'm going to say to you, go away from me. He's talking about you guys and me. I'm pleased when I say you. Please include me in that. Lord, Lord. Go away from me. I don't even know you. What do you mean, Lord? I cast out demons in your name. I prophesied in your name. I healed the sick in your name. And he's going to say to me, go away from me. I didn't know you. Because you didn't spend time with me. You didn't have a relationship with me. You didn't have a relationship like I have with Laureen that I love her and I care for her and I provide for her. You went through the motions. Narrow is the gate. Don't choose the freeway, the highway, or the easy way. You've got to swim upstream and contend for God all the time. Out of love and out of devotion, out of commitment, I want to know what the Father's will is for my life. I want to know that God's going to give me a message to share with you guys. I want to know that that which I'm teaching is from the Lord, not from me. I want to know how to lead my wife. I want to, I want to know how to steward that which is entrusted into me. Josh's generation, my family, my kids, my finances. I want to be a good steward. Why? Like you. We all want to hear when we arrive in heaven one day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. You're faithful a little. I'm going to give you more. If you're drifting and you're not actively seeking to know God and His Word, it's not that you reject the Bible. The problem is that you give your time to Instagram, to TikTok, to YouTube, to Netflix, binging on video games. How many of you guys are playing video games or watching Netflix or TikTok at the moment? Yeah, I see a couple of us playing. <laughs> you see, you spend your time staring at your phone. You're staring at Sodom. How many hours a day do you think the average person spends staring at their phone? Come on. Anybody? Five hours. Five hours a day. Now, for those of you guys who've got that app, how many hours do I spend? You can look. Not now. <laughs> Please don't look at your phone. Who was you looking at Sodom? <laughs> Go look there. Five and a half hours average that you stare at your phone. Just imagine if you took one of those hours and committed yourself to studying scriptures. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. I had this test last night. I said, okay, which one of you guys, you really, you know, if you're going to disciple somebody, you need to actually ask the person when you're having a coffee with them. So what, are you, what is this, your memory verse for, that, for today or this week? So I said, I'll just use an example. You, and this was Linky. Have you got a memory verse? I put it on the spot. She said, yeah, actually, uh, I have. It was 2 Corinthians something, and she's like, tick, 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 tick. I was like, I'm amazed. Normally nobody, nobody's like, I haven't got a memory verse. I said, well done, Linky. So I, I, is it Lizelle? 
Ezel. Sorry, Ezel. See, God's given you a new name in eternity. <laughs> you will be known as Linky. I wonder if you can stick that photograph up for me, that little cartoon. When you get to heaven, there's not a cell phone. Just like. You know, it's funny, we climbed onto the bus uh, yesterday as we were tra being transported to uh, our flight. And I was watching one guy. He's looking for his cell phone. Ah, there it is. Three minutes later. <laughs> and eventually it's like, he's doing the Macarena. <laughs> So to become what no one else is becoming, you have to do what no one is doing. Let's read the scripture out of Jude chapter 1, verses 17 to 23 quickly. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. There's many of those people around who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are men who divide you. We follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. He's talking about Christians. He's not talking about people in the world. He's talking about us. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been filled by the Spirit, I'm going to ask Haya to do a preach on the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Get Jeff Kidwell out here. And let him preach on the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that you guys can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if you try and pray in your own strength, I mean, if you're praying your own words, you'll probably at best pray for five minutes and you'll run out of words. Our Lord, I prayed for Tan Sunny. I prayed for my uncle. I prayed for my wife. I prayed for my three kids. I prayed for more money. I prayed for work. And. Okay. Amen. you can spend an hour praying in tongues. And you go on and on and on. And I'm running on the treadmill in gym. And everybody's like, what's this? <laughs> Keep yourself in God's love. So you've got to contend for that. Keep yourself in God's love. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Our lives shouldn't exist for now. Our hope is set before us. Christ paid the price on the cross for us. Our hope is in eternity. The hope that's set before us is eternal. It's eternity. I'm not living for now. I'm here. But really my eyes are set on eternity. The new glorious body. <laughs> I'm joking. Be merciful to those who doubt. There are some of you that doubt. Some of you visitors, you might not even know Jesus Christ. Snatch others from the fire and save them. The interesting thing is when the two angels said, okay, it's time to go. Give me your hand. They grabbed Sodom out like his arm around. <laughs> they actually ripped him out of his house and said, it's time to go. How many of us, honestly, have ripped somebody out of the fire? Ricked them out of a place where they're sinning at the moment. Or just like, ah, uh, he's just a tough nut to crack. 
Ach, he'll come to his senses. Ach, just let him carry on. I trust that God convicts him. No, we've got to go and listen. I love you so much. You can't afford to do this. You're going to miss the opportunity. I need to bring you back into the kingdom, into the light. Let me help you. Let me love you. Let me walk with you. In this way, Okay, from the fire. To others, deliver. <laughs> to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Have you ever noticed if you've gone into a place where people smoke and you walk out there as a non smoker, you stink like a cigarette? That's my worst. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that they. That's actually contaminating their lives. You don't hate the sinner. Just because the person is gay, you don't hate them. Just because they're an alcoholic or they drink a lot or they're taking drugs, you don't hate them. You love them and you want to bring them back into wholeness. You want to bring them from darkness into light. But you hate the sin that they're committing. Because that is not from them, it's from Satan himself. The great deceiver, the great liar, the prince of lies. Fourth point is, and we're going to land now. <laughs> this is a preview. Become an Abraham to the lot in your life. Become an Abraham to the lot in your life. See, when Lot hit Genesis 19, chapter 19, verse 16, the angel seized his hands and the, the hands of his wife and two daughters, and rushed them to safety outside. Why did God have the angels do this for Lot? Let's look at Genesis chapter 19, verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God, listen, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out to the midst to overthrow when he overthrew the cities of Lot. See, God heard Abram's prayers. Lot had stopped praying. We've got to become the Abrams of the people that we love. And we've got to pray for them that they will find Jesus. They'll find salvation in Jesus Christ. So I've got three kids. 50, 48, and 46. They need to commit their lives to the Lord every single day. Just as somebody prayed for me, I committed my life to serving the Lord when I was 47 years old. I wasted 47 years in the wilderness in a life of sin. But I knew that, I didn't know that somebody was definitely praying for me. At the age of 47, Lorraine and I stuck our hands up simultaneously and committed our lives to the Lord. And we've been serving him faithfully ever since then. Because somebody was praying for me. Who are you praying for? Are you praying for a sibling? Are you praying for your parents? Are you praying for a colleague? Are you praying for your boss who's terrible towards you? Who are you praying for? God didn't save Lot because of Lot. He saved Lot and his family because Abram prayed relentlessly for them. He said, Lord, remember my, my nephew, Lot. Please, Lord, 
We know that Sodom is bad. And the actually interesting thing is, Abram's prayer was a negotiation with, Lord, with the Lord. He said, Lord, he knew that Lot was in Sodom and God was going to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, Lord, tell me, if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you save them? And God said, I will save 50 righteous men. And then uh, Abram spoke, like, okay, maybe he's not 50. Lord, if there's 40 righteous men, will you save them? And God said, well, if there's 40, I'll save 40 guys. Maybe I'm stretching it a bit. Lord, if there's 30 righteous men, will you save them? God said, yeah, of course I'll save 30 people. And maybe 30 is pushing it. 20, Lord. Oh, Lord, forgive me for asking you so many times, will you save 20 people? God said, if there are 20 righteous people, I'll save them. Then eventually he said, well, hang on, Lot, probably got a few kids now, a couple of grandchildren. Lord, if there's 10 righteous people, will you save them? And God said, yes, if there's 10 righteous people, I'll save them. In the end, he saved four people, of which one looked back. So there were, in fact, three righteous, <laughs> in inverted commas, people inside him that God actually saved out of that entire population. And apparently there was over 5,000 people that were destroyed. So you and I, as we sit here, we don't have to look further than the one. The one who gives us the power in his presence to pray for people. There is one who is righteous. There is one who is so altogether perfect and lovely that God says, when we pray in his name, for his sake, God hears our prayers. So Lord, I'm going to pray for Haya and Yohanri in Jesus' name that they have a baby. That prayer has been heard by God. Why? Because I believe in Jesus Christ. And if I believe in him, that prayer is being heard. And the God who created heaven and earth, all the stars, all the galaxies, the sun and the moon and everything else, the creator who created you and me in his image, heard that prayer, that single prayer. And the same as when you're praying, you're the Abram for the lots in life, when you're praying for whoever, that person that you're thinking about, oh Lord, if only pity would get saved right now. Please, I pray this in Jesus' name. I pray in Jesus' name. I know, as I'm standing here, my kids will know Jesus. They will worship him. They will love him and be passionate about him as much as what I am before I die. There was a man who had nine kids. I think it was nine. I stand to correction. It could have been seven. And he prayed relentlessly for them that they would get saved. And in his lifetime, he was seven. Six of them got saved. But then he passed, as he was dying, he passed his baton on to his good friend and he said, please continue to pray for this man, for my son, because he does not know the Lord. He needs to know the Lord and come to know and value and appreciate him. And he prayed and he prayed and eventually this man gave his life to the Lord. And that man's name is Billy Graham, who saved thousands, if not millions of people by his message. 
And he died at the wonderful age, I think of 94 years old. A godly man. But you see, his father prayed for him. Didn't see him come to salvation, but he passed the baton on to somebody else to continue to pray for him. See, God hears the prayers of a righteous person. Jesus did this for you. He prayed for you, and he came after you, and now it's your turn to pray for others. Do you know that Jesus prays for you every moment? He intercedes for you right now. You're sitting next to God, and he's saying, Lord, Joel, I love her. She's a beautiful young lady. She's studying. Give her the wisdom, the capacity, and the joy of being a daughter in, in the kingdom. She's created perfectly in your image. Guard her against the principalities, the authorities, and the spiritual beings that want to attack her life. If God is interceding for me, like the word says, if God is for me, who can be against me? Amen? So some of you have heard this preach, or this message, and you don't know Jesus. You've heard about this, and you've heard about hell and terrible it is. And you say, Kim, actually, you spoke about Jesus, his love and affection, the fact that he died on the cross for, my, for me personally. He took every single sin of mine and nailed it to the cross. Every single sin that you committed in the past. I was an adulterer. I used to drink. Laureen and I should have been divorced eight times already until I got saved and Jesus came between the two of us and he restored our marriage and made our marriage better than it was the day we got married. And we've been married for over 42 years because Jesus is the glue. He's the ring that holds us together. Because he took every sin that I committed and nailed it to the cross. He washed me clean with his blood. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see me as Kim, the sinner. I'm dressed with a white robe, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he sees me as a perfect boy. My son, he says to me. He doesn't say, you sinner, you adulterer, or anything like that. He says, son, my son, Jahal, my daughter. And that's, if you don't know Jesus, you want to gain access into this throne room. You want that new glorious body. You want the hope that's set before us to live in eternity and not in hell. An eternity of glory, not eternity of hell or burning sulfur flame tormented. You can close your eyes. And I want to ask if anybody does not know Jesus, and you'd like to commit your life to Jesus, based on what I've just said, that he died on the cross for each one of us, raise your hand, I'd love to pray for you right now. 